A few weeks ago, uh, around the Christmas time, uh, my daughter came to me and my wife and asked if she could buy some presents uh, for some of her kindergarten classmates. We didn't want to start any sort of tradition because she does have a lot of friends. But she said, Daddy, Mommy, only four, four gifts for my good girlfriends in kindergarten. And so we went to the store and we bought some little trinkets uh, so uh, she could wrap them up and give them to her friends. I walked to a class with her and uh, carried some of the gifts uh, and uh, discreetly gave it to her friends. Handed them out. She was very pleased. Uh, and then there was a little girl who tugged on my pants and said, Pastor, where's my gift? I whispered to my little daughter, where's her gift? And Janelle told me, she's not my friend. <laughs> How can I tell this little cute five-year-old girl that she's not a friend of Janelle, so that's why she doesn't get a gift? Went home, told mom, we have to give her something. What do you have? Let's wrap it up. And so the next day we gave it to her and I'm sure she was very happy. You know, your heart breaks when you feel someone has been forgotten. And your heart breaks when it happens to you. When you are not remembered. It is no fun when you are forgotten. In this world in which we live... It is a world that forgets often. It is a world that does not remember to thank someone else in appreciation for what they've done. It is a world where no one remembers the good you do for them. But oh, sure, they remember the bad things you have done. So it is in the Christian life when we look at life without the filter of the happy Christian life, and we remove the filter, that we come to the realization that at the end, no one really remembers. Everyone lives for themselves in this narcissistic world in which we are a part. It's about my comfort and what I get out of it. And when I've used you, I'm done. I don't need you anymore. How does that sit with you? How does the fact that people forget make you feel? How do you handle the reality that people simply don't remember? As we continue our sermon series this morning entitled, No Filter, The Consequences of Authentic Living, we will look at this issue this morning as we continue our study in the life of Joseph. If you have your Bibles, I'd like to encourage you to turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 40. We're going to exposit verses 1 to 23. If you're new to the Bible this morning, I'd like you to know that the book of Genesis is the first book in your Bible. Many of you know this story well. It is the story of the baker and the butler. The last time we left Joseph two weeks ago, Joseph had been wrongly accused by Potiphar's wife of assault. He had been thrown into the royal prison of Pharaoh. And there it seems as if the world has forgotten him. Perhaps even to Joseph that God had forgotten him. And this is where we pick up the story. How can you forget such a wonderful young man? A man who has been faithful to what God asks him to do. 
a man who is held true to his character in spite of being in a foreign land. And as we're going to see in this first part of chapter 40, Joseph is a man worth remembering. Let's take a look. Look at verses 1 to 4 of chapter 40 with me. It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them. So they were in custody for a while. We're told that the chief butler and the chief baker had somehow offended Pharaoh. And Pharaoh throws them into his royal prison, the very prison where Joseph is held. We don't know how they offended Pharaoh. It doesn't matter. Now, if you remember from chapter 39... You remember that Joseph has gained the favor of the prison warden. So much so that he has put Joseph in charge of the entire prison. A prisoner in charge of other prisoners. And so it was, verse 4 tells us, that Joseph was in charge over these two. But notice something else in verse 4. Something I've always missed whenever I go through this passage, but I noticed it this week. Notice that Joseph, while he was charged over them also the bible tells us in verse 4 serve them joseph had every right to lord over these two he could have had a complex where now he gets to extend his anger his power over these two royal officials but the bible tells us and shows us that he does not In fact, Joseph shows to them great kindness. The Bible tells us for quite a long time. Charles Swindoll once said, Kindness is a language that deaf people can hear and that blind people can see. Isn't that great? Kindness is a language that deaf people can hear and that blind people can see. Joseph showed kindness to those who were under him. And one would think that when you have been shown kindness, that you will always remember the one who has shown you kindness. But you and I know that when we show kindness to others, they don't remember. Look at verse 5 to verse 8 with me. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came into them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his Lord's house, saying, why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, we each have had a dream. And there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. Both the baker and the butler had a different dream all in the same night. And it so greatly affected him that they were saddened. I want you to notice something in verse 6. Joseph is very perceptive. He looks at them. 
he notices that they were sad. I wonder how many times we read this passage and we simply glance over it. Don't forget that Joseph is essentially the vice prison warden. I have never known a prison guard to say to his prisoners, You seem so sad. Are you okay? Everyone in prison is sad because they are there. Now, I've never been to prison, but that's what I've been told. A lot of prisoners, a lot of sad prisoners. Why would Joseph care to ask how these two were doing? Joseph was sensitive. He was perceptive. Perhaps he identified with these two. Here were two at the top of their profession, the chief baker, the chief butler. And they had fallen from grace and were now prisoners. Joseph could surely identify. He himself experienced becoming the favored son of Jacob and fell out of grace and now was a slave in a foreign land. He could identify with their plight. Whatever the case, you see that Joseph is compassionate. He sees that they are sad and he asks them about it. If you've ever been extended an act of compassion, even a small one, you know how it makes you feel. This week particularly has been stressful for me because I'm helping to deal with the situation and it's consumed a lot of my time. My kids know it when I am stressed. Uh, they are very perceptive. Your children know when you're angry, you're fighting, you're sad. And my children knew that I was stressed. They also knew because mommy told them, don't bother daddy, he is stressed. And then this week on Wednesday, as I came home from work, my son comes running up to me, my second one, the big one. He just sees me come through the door and he almost bowls me over as he lunges and gives me a very big hug and runs back to his room to do what he's doing. I thank God for this act of grace I needed. And then Thursday as I came home, only to receive a phone call and continuing my work and my study, it was an animated conversation that my perceptive little girl simply climbed into my lap and sat there as she, I talked on the phone and she colored Thank you, God, for this act of grace I needed. Then on Friday, most stressful day of all, my oldest, and if you have a child within the 8 to 12 range, you know that as they get older, they don't say very much. They're not as expressive as they were when they were young. And he hadn't said it in months. And he came up to me and he said, I love you, Daddy, and then walked out. Thank you, God, for these small acts of grace and compassion. I know it. You know the power of acts of kindness and compassion. You remember them. And for sure, it would have made a difference in the hearts of the butler and the baker to have Joseph ask them why they're sad. You see it. I'm not making this up. Because then they express what's on their heart. 
we both had disturbing dreams. You know, most people, when you talk to them, you ask them, how are you doing? How's everything? What do they answer? Fine. Even if they're noticeably sad, you ask them, what's up? It's nothing. They often don't share because they realize you really don't care. You're just simply asking. But these two knew the heart of Joseph. They knew that he was really compassionate and caring. And so they told them their dreams, which had made them so sad. They were bothered because they don't know what it meant. Look at the response of Joseph in verse 8. Joseph says to them, Do not interpretations belong to God. Joseph reminded them that God alone holds interpretation in his hands. He holds interpretation to dreams. And if God wants to reveal it to them, he will. But if God doesn't, then God has the freedom and the right not to do so. Let me make a side comment here. Some of you may wonder if God is speaking to you through dreams. While this is a topic for a different sermon for a different time, let me just caution you against reading too much into your dreams. God has given us the Scripture, the Bible, as the source of His divine revelation. Look into the Scriptures to find the revealed will of God. Don't start interpreting your dreams. What I want you to see in this section is that Joseph is compassionate to these two. And you would think that when one has been shown compassion, you would remember the one who has shown it. But you and I know that when we show compassion to people, they often forget it. Verse 9 to verse 13. Then the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, Behold, in my dream a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches. It was as though it budded, it blossomed. Its blossoms shot forth, its clusters brought forth ripe grapes. Then Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Now within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your place, and you will, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand according to the former matter when you were his butler. The butler tells Joseph the dream, and in verse 12, you know the story well, Joseph tells the interpretation of it, and he reveals that the butler will be restored into the service of Pharaoh in three days. God must have revealed this interpretation to Joseph, as Joseph has already ascribed that interpretations come from God. When the news was good, Joseph broke it to the butler. He encouraged the butler in this third favor to him. When someone brings you great news, life-changing news, you remember that moment and you remember the person who gave you that news. Or you should. But you have been the bearer of good news and you and I know that people forget. Joseph has shown kindness. He has shown compassion. He has shown encouragement. They should have remembered him. 
All Joseph asks for is a simple request. Remember me. Verse 14 and 15. But remember me when it is well with you. And please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away from the land of the Hebrews. And also I have done nothing here that they should put me into the dungeon. Joseph was so sure of his interpretation that he told the butler, when you are restored with access to Pharaoh, would you remember me? Notice here that Joseph does not go through a list of things that he's done for the butler. Hey, butler, remember, I was kind to you when I could have lorded it over you. I was compassionate and asked you how your day was. I encouraged you and gave you great news. Remember me, you owe me one, you owe me three. None of that. Joseph asked him, if you find it in your heart to show me some kindness, when the moment is right, would you, would you ask Pharaoh to, to free me of this injustice that I've suffered? I've been taken from my homeland, been wrongly accused, and here I am. Well, in verses 16 to 19, we don't have time to go through it. The baker sees that Joseph is dispensing with good advice, and so he asks his dream to be interpreted, and unfortunately his dream meant that he would die in three days. In verse 20 to 22, we find out that's exactly what happened. Pharaoh is a birthday party. He invites all of his servants, even these two in prison. And there, in three days after, they told the dream to Joseph. It is fulfilled. The baker is killed. The butler is restored to his position. And look at verse 23, what I feel is the key verse in this chapter. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. What a sad way to end this chapter. Your heart almost goes out to Joseph. Here is a young man who's been faithful to the Lord, has kept his character, dealing with the consequences of convictions. He has provided kindness, compassion, and encouragement to this butler. And the Bible tells us the butler forgot him. In Hebrew, when something is repeated, it is for emphasis. The chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Completely out of his mind. Can you imagine Joseph? Here, in spite of the injustice... Here was the one window of opportunity to the one man who could free him from the royal prison. And the man who he helped forgot him. Forgotten. This is one of the worst feelings. Maybe for the first few days he was hopeful. Maybe the butler will remember. He's in a good mood. Pharaoh is having a birthday party. He's feeling good. Day after day after day after months after months. One year. Two years. Joseph has been forgotten. 
and the pain of having such great hope dashed, coming to the realization that he has been forgotten. One of the worst feelings. I wonder how many of you have read this story and gotten mad at the butler. I would never do this. That butler, that ungrateful butler, who had been shown kindness, compassion, and encouragement. Many of us are just like him. You say, no, not me. I will protect my friends. It's just because the butler didn't care. Don't be too hard on him. If you were to go to a party or an event, and you don't know someone, and you ask them, hey, what's your name? And they tell you their name? How many of you forget their name five seconds after they've said it? We all do it. And then we chalk it up to the fact that we're just not good with names. I I have often said that. I'm just not good with names. Well, unfortunately, it's not the case. If you're not good with names, then you would not remember any name. Uh, Son, what did I call you? What did I name you? I've forgotten. We remember the names of the people we care about. We make an effort to learn their names, hopefully. According to Richard Harris, a professor of psychology at Kansas State University, it is not your brain's ability or inability that dictates how well you remember people's names. We all can remember people's names. It's just how motivated are you to learn them. The fact that you can remember the names of movie stars who you don't even know. The name, the reason that you can name business tycoons and people you need to get to know and then not know other people's names who are close to you is a reflection of how motivated you are to learn their names. Everyone has a good memory. Are they worth remembering? And so people we meet that we'll never meet ever again, when we ask them their name, five seconds later we forget because we don't care. We're not motivated to learn their names until we meet them again and then we panic. What's their name? You just don't care. And so you move on with life. So spouses, if your husband or wife forgets your name, you better watch out. That's a warning sign. They forget your anniversary and birthdays. Be careful. Maybe they just don't care. People move on. People move on with life. That's why I tell people who lend money to others, if you lend money, don't expect to get it paid back. If you do, that's wonderful. Great that they remembered. The vast majority of the time, they're not going to pay you back, even when they've earned it back. People forget. Short memories. It's the harsh reality of life. No one remembers. And yet we live so hard for this world where we will only be forgotten. Why is that? We get mad when people forget about us. What about when we forget about others? Tennessee William in 1931 writes a short story entitled Something by Tolstoy. It's a fascinating short story. If you get a chance to read it, do so. 
tells the moving story of a married man named Jacob Brodsky. Jacob marries his childhood sweetheart, Leela. And the things they have to go through to get married cause them to love each other more deeply. He being Jewish, she being a Gentile. Jacob Brodsky's family owned a bookstore and there they lived in an apartment on top of it after they were married. They were deeply in love. The life as a bookstore owner fit Jacob's personality perfectly. Jacob was introverted, introspective. He was reflective. And so he had no problems working at the bookstore where he could just read his books. Leela's personality, on the other hand, wanted more out of life. Full of exuberance, full of energy. He didn't want to get stuck doing the same old thing every day. And so after the shine of being newly married wore off, months of manning the bookstore began to depress Leela. She began to pull away, and she found great energy in acting. So much so that when an acting group came through her town in Europe, that she wanted to go on this traveling acting group. She told her husband that she would leave him to travel with this group all around Europe. Jacob was devastated. The day they parted, he reached into his pocket and handed her the key to the front door of his bookstore. You better keep this, he told her, because you will want it someday. You will come back sometime and I will be waiting. She kissed him and left. To escape the pain that Jacob felt, he withdrew deep into his bookstore. He took to reading as someone might take the alcohol. He became even more withdrawn. He spoke little. He did little. And could most times be found at the large desk near the top of the rear of the store, immersed in his books while he waited for his love to return. As the story goes, 15 years after they parted, at Christmas time, she did return. But Jacob didn't recognize her, thinking her an ordinary customer. He asked her, do you want a book? The fact that he did not recognize her startled Leela, but she gained her composure and replied, Sir, I want a book, but I've forgotten the name of it. Jacob said, well, tell me the story. Tell me a little bit about the story. Maybe I can help you find it. Then Leela told Jacob a story of childhood sweethearts, a story of newly married couple who, who lived in an apartment above a bookstore, a story of a young, ambitious wife who left to seek a career, who enjoyed great success, but could never relinquish the key her husband gave her when they parted. She told him the story she thought would bring him to himself. But Jacob's face showed no recognition. Gradually, Leela realized that Jacob had lost touch with his heart's desire. 
that he no longer knew the purpose of his waiting and grieving, that now all he remembered was simply the waiting and the grieving itself. She implored him, you remember it, you remember it, the story of Lila and Jacob. After a long, bewildered pause, Jacob said, there is something familiar about the story. I think I've read it somewhere. It comes to me that it is something written by Tolstoy. Dropping the key, she fled the shop. And Jacob Brodsky returned to his death, to his reading, unaware that the love he waited for had come and gone. It is a powerful story because it reminds me how easy it is to miss love when it comes. Either something so distracts us so completely that we forget, or we lose sight of the fact and easily forget the one we love. So it is in our walk with Jesus. I wonder how many of us this week even thought of him. He did not come 15 years later. He stands right next to us. How many of us no longer long for him? We don't recognize him. We don't see love until he has come and gone. Why is it we so easily forget the one who laid down his life for us? Is it because we don't care? Is it because we're so distracted with the things of our life? And we so immerse ourselves into hobbies and other things that although we say we love him, we have lost that first love and we no longer long for him. We have forgotten him in the, in the distractions of our life. So I ask you this morning, have you seen Jesus? He's standing right next to you. He's there every day of your life and my life. Why do we not long to see him? Why do we not recognize his presence in our life? Lest we're so upset about why others forget us. We forget the one who laid out his life for us every day. I was thinking this week why we feel so bad about being forgotten. And I boil it down to two main reasons. We fear being forgotten because of recognition and relevance. We fear being forgotten because of recognition. In recognition, we want the world to remember that we mattered. In relevance, because we want the world to remember that we still matter. And relevance and recognition speaks of significance. We all want to be significant we want all our lives to matter, at least to someone. 
And that's why at the end of life, we want a plaque with our name on it somewhere, perhaps in a hall of fame. We want the memorial building with our name so they'll always remember us. We want a statue. We want a gravestone, at least, to mark that Stephen Tan has lived this life here and now. We want to be remembered. And the worst feeling of all is to be forgotten. Isn't that true? Why is it that we strive with all of our energy and life's purpose to impress a world that will simply forget us? That's how many of us are living this life. We live this life for a world that forgets us, and yet we do not live a life for the one who never forgets. But a paradox. We live a life for a world that will forget us, and we do not live a life for the one who always remembers. We need to go back and think about this. I'm not into flowers. You may be. My wife is into flowers. She can name a lot of them. And she tells me there's a flower called Forget-Me-Not. I don't know if you know that flower. They have it here. It's a beautiful little uh, bunch of uh, light blue flowers called Forget-Me-Not. How in the world does a flower get a name like that? Uh, There are countless legends of how this flower is called as such. Let me share you three of my favorites. In Mills' History of Chivalry, uh, it tells us that uh, this little blue flower is given a name because once there was a knight and a lady and they were walking along the riverbanks and the knight saw this clump of beautiful light blue flowers and so he picked it up and was about to give it to his lady. But he lost his balance And he fell into the river. And because of the weight of his armor, he began to drown. And with one last breath, with his arms stretched out, he threw those flowers at his lady. And he said to her, forget me not. And that's how the flower got its name. I found that a bit corny. But who knows? Another story suggests that maybe because the leaves taste so bad... That once you've eaten them, you will never forget them. Sounds logical. And here's the third one. In a German legend, it tells us of how God named all the plants. As he created them, he began to name the plants. And we know that's not true because Adam uh, named a lot of them. At least the animals he did. But as God was naming the plants, he didn't finish yet when a tiny unnamed blue flower cried out as a flower could yell out forget me not O lord and god replied that shall be your name i find that corny as well but i like that one because there's deep theology in that it's actually theologically correct it exposes us of the truth of how god operates God does not forget. God remembers. I did a search this week of all 
the instances in the scriptures where it is said, God remembers or God remembered. Hundreds. From the Old Testament to the New Testament. From Genesis, where God remembered Noah and God remembered Abraham. All the way to Revelation, where God remembered the works of faithfulness of His people. This is a God who remembers. And one of my favorite verses, Psalm 105, verse 8. God remembers His covenant forever. The word which He commanded for a thousand generations. Since recognition and relevance comes from God, the only thing that matters is that God remembers. While Joseph was forgotten by his supposed friends, even though he showed them kindness and compassion and encouragement, God had not forgotten Joseph. If you would, just sneak a peek at the next verse, chapter 41, verse 1. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. Dot, dot, dot. We'll talk about this chapter in two weeks. That hope God had not forgotten. Thirteen years, Joseph wondered if anyone in the world cares about him. He was abandoned and forgotten by his brothers, his father had wept over him and had forgotten him. Potiphar had forgotten his faithful service in his household. The butler has forgotten Joseph's goodness to him. And I wonder if Joseph is even wondering at this moment, as months after months and years after years pass, 13 and all since he was age 17, if God had forgotten him. But we're going to find out is that God will reveal that he has always been with Joseph. His hand of influence can be seen by us who read about his life even to this point. God is going to tell Joseph, I am here. And I've always been here, Joseph. And here's my amazing plan. So my friends, don't you worry if the world forgets you. Don't you worry if they forget what you have done. Don't have to impress them. The only thing that matters is that God remembers and His memory is perfect. Did you get that? God remembers and His memory is perfect. He remembers because you matter to Him. And you still matter to him today. You are both recognized and relevant. You are significant in his eyes. So when the filters of life are taken off, and we see the stark reality that this is a world that does not remember, and we ourselves do not remember, we can go forth and live a life authentic to what Christ asks us to do. Because even if the world forgets, God remembers. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is a challenge and a reminder even to my life. 
Sometimes I myself get caught up with wanting the world to remember what I've done. I get frustrated when people forget the good I've done for them. Take that feeling away from me because I'm reminded even today that you remember all and you remember it perfectly and you will reward us accordingly. I pray, Lord, this morning that you would move amongst your people. We would all live out the authentic Christian life, not worrying about what others think about us because they're going to remember. But our assurance, our significance, our peace, our comfort is knowing that you never leave us nor forsake us. You remember perfectly. And in your eyes, we are not forgotten. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.